I've asked Thomas Weekly to come and share with us something that uh, he's about to, to do. And I uh, ask him to do this one so we can be praying for him. Secondly, we can also follow his model. So Thomas, tell us uh, where you're going, what you're going to be doing, and how we can be praying right, for well, you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, this, uh, in January, my wife and I have a chance to go back to J Japan uh, to continue a follow-up of what God has been doing there in the country the last three or four years uh, as we had first gone there. Mm -hmm. Three years ago, we had the chance to go. Our daughter lives in Japan, so we had a chance to go. And, and we started praying, Lord, would you have a, a role that we can play in this country mm -hmm. uh, any way possible? At the end of that time, we met a college professor who invited us to come back. I'm a professor at Western Kentucky part-time, director of the Faculty Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ or a crew at Western as well. And so we basically start praying, Lord, is this part of that, that way you're working in our life? Next, next summer we went back, had a chance to visit a class, and then last summer was kind of a highlight. Uh, we met a Christian professor there, Obari Sensei, mm -hmm. who invited us to come to his classes and speak on uh, global leadership. But in that class, I get a chance to talk about worldview. Mm -hmm. So I get a chance to communicate the gospel of what is the Western worldview about religion. And so at the, after the end of that class, Dr. Obari said to me, he said, Thomas, would you be willing to come back as a visiting scholar? Now, if you know me, that's kind of an oxymoron. Those two words have not been used uh, to describe me. Visiting, maybe, but scholar, I don't think so. so. And so I don't, really don't have those academic credentials. And I was doubting Thomas. I really didn't think that would be taking place. Yeah. And so uh, God has continued to work. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or even imagine. Uh, in October, I had a chance to share at the church uh, during the gift for Christ. And that next week after that conversation I had here at the church, I got an email from Dr. Obari. And he said, uh, would you be, uh, send me your resume or your CV, a, a professor's resume, basically. And when I sent it to him, his response was, this does not look good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically saying, uh, then he said, do you have any academic publications, any academic credentials besides just your lecture and teaching? And I said, I, I mean, really, I don't. That's, uh, that's not been my focus at all. And I said, uh, but you know, that, that morning I had prayed in my quiet time, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, uh, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which you're preaching on that's this right, morning. That's right. I sent that email to him saying, I'm praying this, and if it's God's will that I come as a visiting scholar, it, he, will, he will answer the prayer. Amen. And he said, you're right, we will pray. And three days later, I got an invitation from the university to come as a visiting scholar. So Laura and I are leaving January the 2nd uh, to go for about uh, two and a half, three weeks. I'll be lecturing 18 times over 14 days, primarily over the topic of global leadership and worldview. Um, I got an email after you and I talked uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I got an email from Dr. Obari. He said, well, he said, I need this, a copy of your abstract for your uh, faculty address. I didn't know I was having a faculty address yeah, there at yeah, the university. Yeah, that's, that's it's kind a of a new extra. thing. Yeah, a little bit extra. <laughs> and so my mentor, Dr. Kay, would help me write a good faculty abstract right. for, that, for that presentation. But again, with God's hand upon what he is doing in that country, yeah. you know there's 127 million people who live in Japan. Um, only 0.5 to 1% are followers of Christ. Yeah. That when you take that into the number of professors, there's 167,000 professors in the country of Japan. And if it's also true there's only 0.5 to 1%, that means there's 800 to 12 to 1,300 professors in the entire country yeah. who know Christ. So Thomas is going to have the opportunity to lecture a percentage of them and also to, to share with these students who are strong leaders. So we need to be praying for you. Yes, so exactly there's right. an insert in your bulletin. Pull that out real quick. 
and I asked Thomas to do this so that we could join him in prayer. So Thomas, tell us about this insert. You know, on the insert, it just has a couple of the first things are about our travel and jet lag, et cetera. But I've gone through each day that I'll be lecturing in the open days as well with just some highlights of some things that really we need prayer for, spiritual protection, physical energy, uh, basically spiritual discernment. Those aren't necessarily in order or for those days, but those are kind of the, each day you could pray for one of those things. Yeah. My name and that email address is on the bottom as well if you would like a copy of our recent newsletter we sent about our trip. And also you can follow us on Facebook. We will post things on a daily basis. Jason, I just greatly appreciate your prayers for yes. us. The, the weight or the, we realize what God has called us to do. Yeah. And uh, I once heard, as a young minister, a person said, you know, God does, God wants your availability, not your ability. Yeah. And so we're going, asking God to work. We don't know what he will do, but we, we're trusting that God will use professors and students to change a country Amen. that impacts the world. Each of us are impacted today by Japan. You may have drove, driven here by, in a Toyota or a Honda, or you're going to Kyoto or you're playing your Sega Genesis or something, each of us are impacted every day. But the question is, is the gospel impacting right. that country? Are we having an impact in that country? So pray that there'll be lasting fruit and that God's, the glory of Christ and his Emmanuel will impact the people of Japan through professors and through college students. Over Thank 10 years ago, praying. we sent a team uh, to Japan and we found great resistance. And we're now seeing an openness. And that's why I've asked Thomas to allow us to pray for him and I believe God is opening a door into the highest echelon of that society. In a, in a shame, uh, honor, shame, honor, culture, shame yes. culture, uh, this is huge influence that Thomas is being given. So he needs our prayer. So let's commission our brother. Lord God, we commission him to your service. We pray for traveling mercies for he and his wife. God, we pray that you would bless his words. I pray that they will find uh, fertile soil and that there will be hearts transformed by the gospel, that many will be saved and that of those leaders, they will make disciples and that there will be a, a harvest that brings glory to your name. Do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Love you, you Thomas. Love Appreciate you. you. Appreciate you so much. So again, the example here is uh, he's a professor. And so he says, hey, God, what do you want me to do? God says, I want you to influence professors. God has given each one of us a mission field. It's where, you know, we're our home, our neighbors, and, and every generation that we come in contact with. And what we're doing as we're kind of in the season uh, of, of remembering the coming of Jesus Christ, this is not your typical Christmas series. It's, it's really much more of a theological series that I've been doing with you in anticipation for 2020 as we begin to think through the impact that God wants us to have. Uh, we've been talking about Jesus Christ. And we talked the first week about the fact that he has fulfilled the prophecies all the way up to the, the last prophet of the old covenant, which is John the Baptist. Last week, we talked about how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Today, we want to talk about the kingdom of God and what that has to do with the coming of Jesus Christ and what that has to do with our lives and the way we live our lives, the way we choose to live our lives. Understand that the, the coming of Jesus Christ and his kingdom was promised in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll probably be familiar with this text. This is Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse six. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over, look at this, his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the zeal of the Lord did do this. 
Jesus Christ came just as God said that he would. And with the coming of Jesus Christ came the coming of the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist was announcing the coming of Jesus, again, the last Old Testament prophet, listen to what he said. This is Matthew chapter three, verses one through three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Look at what he was, rep- look what he was preaching. Repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is uh, he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John was sent as the last old covenant prophet to announce that the coming of the kingdom of God was at hand. The coming of the kingdom of God was at hand because Jesus Christ was at hand. Jesus Christ came and brought his kingdom. Jesus was was once asked about the coming of the kingdom. Let's look at what he said. These words are very important in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is. What Jesus was saying there was very important. During the days of Jesus Christ, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, even the people were looking for the coming of the Messiah. They were looking for the coming of the Christ, but they were looking for a real uh, earthly king who would remove the rule of Rome. They were looking for someone who could say, look, there is the kingdom, there are his soldiers, there it is, here it is happening. And Jesus said, that's not how the kingdom of God is gonna come. That will not be the manifestation of the kingdom. But look what he did say. Look here, it is, there, no, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. How was it that the kingdom of God was in the midst of them? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ was in their midst. With the coming of Jesus Christ came the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ will come again. And so it is of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. And the kingdom will come finally and fully. We are to understand human history, present, and future based upon what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that Jesus was promised, that he has come, that he's now coming, that he's going to come again. And so it is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. But it has not yet fully come. There is the already and the not yet. This doctrine is what what theologians call realized eschatology. So when speaking of the kingdom of God, it has been realized, it's real, it's here, but it's also eschatological. That is, it is still yet to come. Let me give you a, a, a real slick, easy definition of realized eschatology. While some of the prophecies and all of the laws of God have been fulfilled with the first coming of Jesus, the prophecies concerning God's kingdom are now being fulfilled through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the rescued saints of God. All of the prophecies and promise of God will one day be finally and fully fulfilled when Jesus comes again and his kingdom is on earth as it is now in heaven. We are now living in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is still coming. It's coming in us, it is coming through us, but there is a day when the kingdom will finally and fully come. Our text today shows us how it is we are to be praying for this kingdom to come. How it is we need to anticipate the coming of the kingdom. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and let's look at Matthew chapter six. Matthew six, 
The section we'll see, this is the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna look at one sliver of this. So Ella's gonna come and read. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, this is Matthew chapter six. She's gonna read specifically verse 10, which is a portion of the Lord's Prayer. Ella, you ready? Yes. Go for it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ella. Well done. So let's understand as you're being seated that what this prayer tells us is that we need to anticipate this kingdom that has already come. We need to be praying for it to continue to come, that it will come fully. This, this concept of the kingdom is found throughout all of scripture. Remember, the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The Bible is a single story with four parts. These four parts tell us about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. And in the coming of Jesus, there is the coming of the kingdom. So what do we see in the Bible? We see at the beginning creation. What was happening in creation? In creation, as God made it, there was harmony. The king was present and there was peace. We were right with God, we were right with them, we were right with one another, but what happened? We as a race committed treason against the high king of heaven. And in our treason, there was a consequence, and that was the fall. So the world now is not as it should be because we have committed treason. Now God would have been completely justified to abandon us in our brokenness, but instead, he chose to bring about a rescue. Jesus Christ has come, and in coming, he has brought his kingdom. The kingdom has come. Now all who believe, the kingdom is at work in us and through us, and so the kingdom is now coming, but it has not finally and fully come. It will finally and fully come at the restoration, and at that time, heaven and earth will be one. Now, how does that happen? How should we anticipate this, this being, this reality? How is it that we should anticipate and, and be thinking about this? Well, there are certain aspects that we need to be looking for, and we see those in the book of Revelation. So if you've got your Bible still open, and I hope that you do, go with me now to Revelation chapter one. We're gonna be in verses four through seven, and I wanna show you these three things that we need to be certain things that we need to be looking for as the kingdom of God is coming. Again, Revelation was written by the apostle John. He was on the Isle of Patmos. It's an island just off the west coast of Turkey. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was revealing himself to John and how he had come and how he was coming and how he would ultimately come, bringing with him the kingdom. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, the kingdom will fully come. Now he's writing to a church, John was, again, God's word about Jesus, that this church was under distress. And he's writing to say, the Lord has not abandoned you. He has expectations of you. He expects you to live in obedience to him. So he begins by writing to the seven churches, which are symbolic of the church as a whole, seven being the, 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 uh, the symbolic number for wholeness. And so he's writing to the entirety of the church, even us now, using these specific examples. And he's writing about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. Writing about the kingdom of God, how it has come, how it is coming, and what it will be like when the kingdom fully and finally comes. When we read the book of Revelation, what we need to understand is we're reading realized eschatology. When you read the book of Revelation, you need to read it the way you read the rest of your Bible. 
Do not read your Bible and ask this question first. What does this say to me? Don't start there. Your first question in reading the Bible needs to be, what did this say to the original readers? When the Holy Spirit of God inspired his word, it was written to a particular people in a particular time. Understanding what that message was gives us an ability to understand who God is, who we are, the sin that we need to repent of, and the good it is we need to do. If we do not pursue, if we do not study the word of God that way, let me tell you what we'll do. We'll do what the heretics have done. We will basically make the Bible say what we want it to say. We'll take it and we'll turn it and we'll twist it so that it pleases our flesh and our desires of what we want God to be. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is our final word on life and faith. It needs to be read properly. It needs to be read in its proper context so we can know who God is, who we are, what we are to avoid and repent of, and what it is we are meant to pursue. As we read the book of Revelation, what we see is Jesus who has come, Jesus who is coming, Jesus who is yet to come. What we see in the kingdom, the kingdom that has come, the kingdom that is coming, and the kingdom that is yet to come. And as the kingdom comes, and as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three specific things, certain things we need to be looking for. First one is this. When the kingdom of Christ comes, it changes lives. Whenever Jesus Christ comes, he changes lives. And so when the kingdom comes, it changes lives. Let's look in verse four. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from, now notice this. It could easily just say God, cola, and then, but I want you to notice the revelation of God himself here as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God who is Father, from Him who is and who was and who is to come. He is Spirit, the seven spirits who are before His throne, and He is Son, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. This God is changing lives today according to His kingdom purpose. Those who repent and believe this gospel are made are made citizens of the kingdom of heaven under the leadership of King Jesus. How is that possible? It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. What is the gospel? What is the good news? It says right here, to him who loves us and has freed us from, uh, from our sins by his blood. Here's the good news of God. Here's the gospel. God has come in flesh to pay for our sin. And if we will repent, that is give up on our own self-rule, we will be forgiven and we will be free to pursue and recover God's design. Understand, under our own lives, under our leadership, all we're gonna do is sin and create brokenness. Even our best intentions are gonna be tainted with sin and cause pain. God has invited us to give up on figuring out our own way in life, but instead to follow him, the God who became flesh, to die in our place, to pay for our sin, so that we can now pursue and recover God's design. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to be someone who has been transformed by the living God, who has entered into a relationship with him by grace through faith in Christ alone. Having been filled with the spirit of God, we now know Jesus, we now love Jesus, now we obey Jesus. Again, make sure you understand what a disciple of Jesus is. Guys, put that up for me. A disciple of Jesus, three things. It's a person who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who obeys Jesus. Generally speaking, generally speaking, 
If you do not obey Jesus, it's because you don't love him. If you don't love him, it's because you don't know him. Specifically speaking, let me, let me give a little bit more depth to this. Don't think that if, if you're not in every bit, in every way obedient to Jesus, that doesn't mean that you don't love him at all. Please don't hear me say that. Hear me say this. You will only obey Jesus to the depth of your love for him. And you will only love him to the depth of your knowledge of him. So if you're struggling in an area to obey Jesus in, it doesn't mean you don't love him at all. It just means you need to love him more. And the way you're going to love him more is to know him more. And again, what does it mean to know him? It doesn't just mean that you have a cognitive understanding of the realities of of, of who Jesus is. It means that you know him and you're known by him. This idea of knowing in the scriptures, according to the word of God, is not a one-way street. It's a relationship. It is to know God and it's to be known by God. And when you know God and you're known by God, you love God. And when you love him, you obey him. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's where the change happens. The more we know him, the more we love him, the more we obey him, and the more our lives change. You guys know I'm I'm a sports guy, uh, and I recently watched a documentary uh, about two of arguably the most effective and and foul-mouthed coaches in in the world today, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And and these guys are amazing. So I watched this documentary about these two yahoos, and so much about them that bothers me. But one of the things I really like about these guys is what they said about their players. They said, you know what? We choose our players, and our players choose us. And we get our players and we find out what they are all about. And then we, we strengthen what they were made to do. And then we make them a part of holistically what we're making happen. And together we all succeed. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has chosen us and he invites us to choose him, to be in a relationship with him. Having begun that relationship with God, we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the more we become more like Jesus, the more his kingdom is experienced in our life, the more his kingdom will expand through our life. We will be changed. Again, understand, if you know Jesus and his kingdom has become real in your life, you're gonna be changed by Jesus. You're gonna be changed by his kingdom. Second thing to note, When the kingdom of Christ comes, it establishes the church. It establishes it. Again, speaking of this one whom by his blood we are saved, says it, and he made us a kingdom. We who believe in Jesus Christ are his kingdom. And how do we live that out? What does that mean? That means that we are priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, Peter, writing to the first century church of people who were struggling under persecution, look what he wrote. Look what he said they were and what we now today are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, look at this, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. To be God's people is to be a part of his kingdom, to be his kingdom. You are his kingdom as his priest to God, his father. And as you live out your identity as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you will realize who it is God made you to be you will find fulfillment and significance in your life. You will be able to return to God and pursue and recover God's design. You you who are the church, and what do I mean by that? What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be in the church? What does it mean to be a priest? Well, it means that you hold to the confession of Jesus Christ. You'll remember there was a dialogue that happened with the disciples and Jesus once. And Jesus said, hey, who does everybody say I am? And, and, and they were saying, oh, you're, they're saying you're Elijah. They're saying you're John the Baptist. They're saying, Jesus said, okay, this is a Matthew 16, 16 through 18. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Look what, look what happens here. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, the rock is Peter's confession. The church is not built on a sinful man. The church is not built on a human institution. The church is built and established on Jesus Christ and our confession of him. The rock that the church is built on is this very profound, very personal, very very transformational confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's this confession, God says, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is in the kingdom of God as the children of God, the priests of God, that we are the kingdom. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom will come. And and as that kingdom is coming, we as the church are said to be the, the manifestation of the glory of God. It is through us that God is gonna make known who he is and what he's done. There are things in the church and only in the church that this kingdom work is gonna take place. What does it look like? Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11. What happens in the church? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It is in the church that we are equipped to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ, that is the church, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, as we are in the kingdom, in Christ, the kingdom is in us, the Christ is in us. He's changing us. We are becoming mature so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. No, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held, again, the body, the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working, when every part of the church is working, when each one of us is pursuing and recovering God's design, when each one of us are being the kingdom of God because the kingdom has come and the kingdom is coming, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He he changes us. 
He establishes the church and that work, the work of the church is to make known the kingdom of God. And everyone who believes in the confession and makes the confession that Jesus Christ is the son of God, they become disciples. It is our job to make disciples. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In light of that, in light of of the fact Jesus says, I'm the king of kings over heaven and earth, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Notice this. We are to make disciples, not simply converts. We are to go into our everyday lives and make disciples to share the love of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And as they believe, we are to baptize them and then it's not done. It's not done. We are to teach them to observe all that God has commanded and know that he is with us always to, the, to where? To the very end of the age. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom will one day fully and finally come. And so what we need to be looking for when the kingdom of Christ comes, number three, it impacts the world changes everything. Verse seven, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This glorious event is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, those who've died, that you may not grieve as others who do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him with those who have fallen asleep. How's that gonna happen? For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, just as is described in the book of Revelation and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is gonna come with a huge announcement. You know, right now we are in connection with our church grieving because of a number of people who, who have died this week. And even tonight, we are going to be grieving with families who've had loss this year. But as Pastor Bill reminded me this morning, everyone that has died in the past few days and all those that we will be grieving tonight are with the Lord today. Every one of them were born again believers. And you guys know one of my favorite ways to describe our reality is that we're like a peanut. There's a shell that's our body, but inside the nut is is our soul. And I tell you all the time, and I expect this, and I'll know in heaven if you did or not, if I die today and my body's laying here tomorrow, I expect every one of you to point at that and say, that's just the shell, the nut is in heaven. (laughs) And I expect you to laugh and to know I'm laughing in heaven. And if that happens today and you bury me tomorrow and the Lord comes back on Wednesday, my soul will return with God from glory and my body will be raised in a resurrected body. My soul will be clothed in a resurrected body that will not die, that will not get sick, that will not tire, that will have no tears. I will be with the Lord forever. Will you, will you, are you anticipating the coming of Christ? 
See, that, that, this coming is changing the world, but the world will soon be changed. Heaven itself is going to be changed. The earth and the heaven as we know it today will not be the same. What am I talking about quickly? Go with me to, to the end. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse one. What is it going to happen on this great, this great coming of the final and the fulfilled kingdom? Beginning in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. There's no more chaos. The sea is, is symbolic of chaos. Think about this. The earth as we know it, gone. The heaven that exists today, gone. Why? Because the heaven will descend on an earth that has been consumed and the heaven and earth will be one. What are we to pray? Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Christ returns and the kingdom is finally and fully fulfilled, new heaven, new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride atoned for, uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. When we enter into this final reality of the coming of the kingdom of God, resurrected bodies, no more death, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more tears. We will drink, praise God, we will drink from the, from the living water of God. We will feast on the fruit of heaven. Go to one more, cha one more chapter, go to, go to uh, Revelation 22. Let me read verses one through four for you there. What will this be like? What will we consume? What? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. We will drink from the river of the water of its living water, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river. What is it? The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. We're gonna have a different kind of fruit every month. And what's this gonna do? The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No more war. Constant, eternal peace, life. <laughs> the leaves of the tree. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. And what's the best part of heaven? Look at verse four. This is the best part of heaven. They will see his face. We will see the face of God and we will not die. You read your Bibles and everyone was terrified that ever saw even an angel, anything of the very presence of the heavenly king. Whenever they saw it was any manifestation, oh, we will surely die because he is holy, holy, holy. But those of us who've repented of sin, who've been given new life in Christ because our sin has been paid for by his blood, and because his life is in us, because Jesus has come, is coming, and will come, because his kingdom has come, is coming, and will one day fully come in us, we are free, and we have eternal life, and that is what we live for, amen? That is what we're about. That is the kingdom. That is our pursuit. Oh, my friends, have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you truly 
Are you being changed? Do you know him and love him and obey him? Is it real for you? Are you truly a disciple of Jesus? Are you making disciples? Are you sharing this good news? It may be today that you need to come and pray. Some of you to pray, to ask God to forgive you, to give you new life. Some of you to to know him and love him more, that you might be fully in obedience in accordance with his will. And pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for it to come now. Not only in its final and full form, but also even now that that we as a church would be revived. Look at our revival prayer for this, this week. It's in your bulletin. Look at how we're to pray this week. We're to pray that we would have a hunger for the word of God, that we would no longer be complacent, that the Holy Spirit would stir us, that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers. Friends, you have heard the word of God preached today. Don't just hear it. Ask God to help you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we need revival. Hear us as we pray for revival. Lord God, some in this place need salvation. Save them now as they repent and believe. Lord God, many of your children are being tossed to and fro by the things of this earth and their their addictions and their commitments are, are out of kilter. Lord God, renew us, save us, make us in the image of your son. Lord, we need you. You are so good. Revive us. In a spirit of prayer, let's stand together. Let's sing. Come and pray. Pray for revival. Pray for salvation. Pray for renewal.